Good morning to you, New City. What a joy to bring the Word of God with our church where we gather each week to worship with our family of God here. Man, we love what God's doing here. What a joy to be a part of it. And it's funny, you know, uh, Chris, he, we're in this series in Acts and we're getting to Pentecost. And so he said, hey, uh, Stephen, you know, we, we needed you to preach. You're the closest thing we have to a Pentecostal. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm an ordained Presbyterian. <laughs> ah, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Uh, actually, you know, Chris, he's, uh, he's got a little Pentecostal vibe in him. Uh, if you know him, he's got a little fire down buried in there, which I love about him and the pains and gin. And so this morning, we're coming to this moment in history that, that happened. There was a game changer. I mean, when Pentecost happened, it was a historical game changer because here's what happened. If you know the story that we're in, the disciples, you had 12 guys who were all cowards, admittedly. I mean, when, when things went south for Jesus, they were like, uh, peace, I'm, I'm out. Like, that could, I saw what happened to him and didn't go well. I'm gonna kind of, so they take off, and then the resurrection happens, and they keep meeting the resurrected Lord. And they're like, man, this is real. This happened. He did it. He beat death. He beat the grave. And then Jesus says something perplexing to him. He says, wait, wait, wait. I know you're all fired up. I know you're ready to go, but I want you to wait. I want you to wait until Acts 1-8 happens, Chris talked about this last week, where it says, and they will be clothed with power. The Greek word is dunamis, dynamite power. They will receive dynamite power. They'll be clothed with power from on high. And don't go anywhere until you have that kind of power. See, that kind of power gives you a courage. It, it makes cowards courageous. It makes deserters and the ones who go to their death saying, it happened, it's real. If you got to kill me, do it. It's kind of like I'm a fan of the show Seal Team. I don't know if any Seal Team fans out there, but they have these all these cool missions they go on, you know, and they're always, I'm always interested in where they're going and what they're doing, but they, they always do one thing. Before they go, it'll take them back to the area where they're putting on all their gear, and it's like the world's coolest gear. I mean, it's like infrared, you know, um, night vision goggles that they strap on. They get their bulletproof vest because they have to be clothed with power to go out on mission. Because imagine them going out in their boxers. Not the greatest image, is it? Like, they're not going to be that successful if they go clothed in boxers only. No, they need to be clothed with power. In the same way, Far more so than night vision goggles and a bulletproof vest, God says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you're going to have everything you need. Look out, world, when you get strapped with the Holy Spirit, look out. Now, the moment that this happens, if you'll notice when we read our text, the verse one will tell you, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. So what that means is, if you're a careful reader of it, you realize, huh, wait, Pentecost had already happened? Well, there were, there were two Pentecost moments. 
See, what the, they, the Jews had gathered from all over. The diaspora had happened. They had come back to the city of Jerusalem from nations all over. And they were there to celebrate Pentecost. Well, which Pentecost? The first one that happened. And what Pentecost coincided with the Feast of First Fruits. First fruits were the things that, man, it's like it, it comes in. We're going to trust God that more fruit's coming in. So we're going to celebrate that God is good and God's faithful based off of this first little thing that we've tasted, we know that more is coming. And it's kind of like a bite of heaven. It gets so good and you taste it. It's like um, my buddy is a really good cook and I was with him this week and he has one of those green eggs. Ooh, glory, if you have a green egg. And so he has got barbecue on the green egg and the, the smells are intoxicating. I mean, it's just wafting all over. And so I, I kept like walking by the green egg, you know, just kind of curiously. He was there and I was sort of hinting. I'd bump into him thinking at some point he's going to realize I want to taste. And so finally he, he opened it up and all the smoke's just like. And he, he pulled off just a little bit off the rack of rib and he gave me a taste. Woo! Just hit me. I mean, Glory. Oh, it was so good. You know what it was? It was actually Romans 8, 23. Can we pull that verse up? This is what happened to me. It says, we have the first fruits of the spirit and it makes us groan for more. It makes us yearn for more. I mean, we have it inside. This is what they were celebrating, the first fruits that gives us hope and redemption. And man, more is coming. They were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate this. And the first fruits happens, this happened 50 days after Passover. Now, 50 is the Latin and Greek word, comes from five or 50 for penta. And that's our word where we get at Pentecost. So 50 days after Passover, the first Pentecost came. You know when it was? It was when Moses went up to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes to Sinai and he wants to see God. He says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face to face. And God does his best impersonation of Jack Nicholson to Tom Cruise and says, you can't handle the truth, <laughs> essentially. It's my paraphrase. He says, I'm going to get you in the cleft of a rock and my back is going to pass by you because if I unveiled the fullness of my glory in my spirit inside of you, it would be too much for you. So it's interesting, in the first Pentecost, God draws near. In the second Pentecost, God comes inside. No longer in the Holy of Holies, a temple, God says, I'm gonna make you my temple. I'm gonna come dwell with you. And so this morning, we're gonna look at what that does to us. When the Spirit of God comes inside, it gives us a transcendent courage. And we're gonna look at three things. The source, so where do you get that courage? Then we're gonna look at the result, if you actually have it, what will happen? And then we're gonna look at an attitude that you carry if you have this transcendent courage of the Holy Spirit. So first, let's consider the source. Where do we get this? Because all of us, I've never met anybody who goes, my goal in life is to be a coward. That's what I, no, we wanna be courageous. So Let's look at where we get the, the courage. It comes out of verses one through four in chapter two, if you have your Bibles. Let's look at that together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. So picture Moses, wind and fire on Sinai. Happens again, wind and fire coming down that separated, but this is different. It came to rest on each one of them, not near, but on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Not near, but inside, filled with the Holy Spirit. Not their parents, not their spouse, not their good friend, but inside of each one of them, they were filled up with the Holy Spirit. Now, I saw this recently with a friend of mine. You know, we have these friends where we've been praying for God to move in their life for a long time. And it just seems like nothing's happening. So for 20 years, I was asking God to move powerfully in one of my friend's lives and nothing until recently we got together and he began to give some sort of vague things about major things happening in his life that were gonna cause some changes. I was like, what's going on, man? Let's, let's get some lunch and let's, let's talk about this. So we go to lunch. He says, you know, uh, I have stage three cancer. And I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Uh, he said, I said, tell me about that. And he, he began to describe it. And then he looked at me and he said, Stephen, you know, I've, I've always admired how you've lived your life. And you, you have this, this thing, he couldn't describe it. He's like, you have this thing and it's this spiritual thing. He's like, how'd you get that? I was just like, okay, been praying for 20 years, now's the time. So I just said, all right, strap up. And just shared my story of how the Holy Spirit came into my life and has changed everything about me, is changing and will change. The Holy Spirit is just giving me a joy and a hope and a faith. And so I described this and I said, okay, now you tell me your story. We're all, we all have a story. We're all on a journey. I'd love to hear yours. And so he articulated his story. And you know how sometimes you'll be there and it's like the Holy Spirit is just like, all right, be bold, be courageous here. And so I said, okay. And so I looked at him and I said, now here's what I heard you say. You tell me if I heard you correctly. I might have missed it, but you tell me if, if this is accurate. I said, I heard you describe someone who believes in God, but isn't following God. And the good news is that you believe in God, but the bad news is that even the demons believe in God. And then I just like let that sit. Pass the ketchup. And he looked over at me and I was like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go. This could be awkward. Uh, and he goes, Stephen, you hit the nail right on the head. He said, you know, my whole life I've believed in God, but I hadn't even thought about following him. He said, can you tell me how to do that? I'd really like to follow God. Can you tell me how to do that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And... and and so he began to take the first step of courage. It takes a courageous humbling of yourself to get off the throne of your life and to realize I can't 
run my life. Jesus, you actually have to, because faith is this. Some of you are here this morning. You need to make a decision of your will to trust Christ. That's what faith is. It's not so much a feeling. It is a feeling, but it's way more than. It's a decision of your will to trust Christ. Think about the Jews in our text. They had oriented their life to say, I'm going back to Jerusalem. That's not like convenient, but they were orienting their life. That's what you do. When you make a decision of of your will to trust Jesus with your parenting, with your finances, with your sex life, with every part of who you are, you actually say, now you get to call the shots, Jesus, and I'm gonna make a decision of my will to trust you. John 14, 15 through 16 is a good illustration of this. It says, if you love me, keep my commands, meaning if you, re- if you love me and you wanna trust me, then start orienting these areas of your life towards me by faith in every single area of your life. And the result is what? I'll give you my spirit, the spirit of truth. I will pour out an advocate, a spirit inside of you that will give you a courage to face anything and everything that is heading your way. You'll have all that you need. So that's the source is the Holy Spirit. It requires faith. It requires you to make a decision of your will to trust Christ. Now let's look at the result. If you're willing to take this step and humble yourself and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and by the way, this isn't a one-time choice you make. It is, you have to make it once and for all, but it's an ongoing day by day, fill me up, Now, Lord Jesus, with more of the Spirit, here's the result. It'll be verses 5 through 12 of your life. Let's Acts 2, 5 through 12, let's pull that up. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Edomites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Great question. What does this mean? What is going on here at Pentecost? Listen, here's what it means. When the spirit of Jesus comes over you, he takes people who can't understand one another. I didn't think I would get along with that person. They speak a different language. They're culturally, they're different for me. But all of a sudden, we're bound together by the spirit of the living God. This is 2 Corinthians 5. You now have the ministry and message of what? Reconciliation. This is Revelations 21 and 22. One day, do you know where we're gonna be? We're all gonna be around the throne of Jesus Christ. And do you know the last thing we'll be concerned about? Skin color. It will not enter our minds. White guy, black guy, Latino. We're all children of God, made in the image of God. And we're gonna be around the throne in worship, every race, every class, every culture. In the city of Charlotte, there are a thousand plus churches. But, we realize there's a but, isn't there? A thousand churches, and yet, we're still dealing with such 
incredible division and racial division, cultural division. Do you, do you know that we're 50th out of 50 when it comes to upward mobility? Do you know that if you're a child born into poverty, which is heavily among our minority classes, you, you have a 4.4% chance of making it out. That's dead last in the top 50 cities in the country, 4.4%. When we moved uh, here from California, in case you didn't know this, um, California's different. It's a bit of a different place than North Carolina. So we get to North Carolina and this is a little over a year and a half ago and we don't know where God's, we didn't know he's gonna land us in this amazing family. So we're looking for a place uh, to worship. And so we go to different churches every week. And after church, we would get together as a family and we would talk about the experience and, hey, what did God say to you? What did you, what, how'd you feel about that place? And, and so my kids repeatedly would say, dad, you know, it's, it's just strange because we go to these churches and it seems like these churches are filled with people that look the same. And I'm like, yeah, there's this, there's this thing called racism and segregation and it's really impacted our society. And, and so we, we, we kind of tend to this whole birds of a feather flock together thing. Um, and we do that because that wasn't our experience in San Diego. I mean, we had a, a friend of mine who came to our church and he was like, Stephen, this, is, this place is a, is a sociological conundrum to me. I was like, that's a great term for a church. He's like, I don't know what anybody has in common with each other. And it was just like a softball, you know? Well, yeah, there's this guy named Jesus. And he, he seems to bring us together from every tongue, tribe, and nation, every race, class, and culture. And so the question is, what do we do about that? Like when we gather here, I, I long to see more of, of Pentecost, more of a Pentecostal expression of, of every race, class, and culture. And when we chose this church, there's a million things we love about it, but one of the things we struggled was we said, you know, we would love to see more diversity. And so what do you think the answer is? Maybe it's just, well, Chris, fix that. I'm glad you laughed. It was a joke. That's not the right answer. RJ, Chris, fix it. It's on us. I'm with you. It, it's on us to love and value and serve people indiscriminately because we have a God who has loved us indiscriminately. He's looked at the very worst of us and says, I love you and I'm for you. And he says, go and, and represent that to the world. And don't think about money or skin color or education level. And no, 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 just, just go and, and love people. And, and parents, we, we need to listen to our kids in this because a lot of times these things haven't set in on them. One, one um, illustration of that in my own family where we, we saw the power of Jesus bringing together across these lines because of my kids, um, we, we had a great friendship with a guy that we affectionately called Big Al because I'm an Alabama fan and he was a really big guy. Uh, and he was a black guy and he was chronically um, underemployed and unemployed. And so he was on the verge of homelessness and at times homeless. And then he was in a place and he was about to get evicted. 
And so I knew this, and Bradford and I started to pray about, God, you know, I don't know, we have a study. Um, maybe he could, you know, come and stay there. And is that right, you know, with kids and family? And, uh, and, and so we go to church, and after church, I'm standing there, and my daughter's right at my side, and he comes over, and he says, hey, would y'all pray for me? I'm, I'm facing a tough week, and I'm, I'm concerned about this eviction, and would you just pray? So we did, and he walks away. <laughs> my daughter looks up, and she goes, Dad, why would we not have Al come stay with us? I was like, oh, yes. You see, my kids had grown to love Al. You know why? Because he would come to church and he would, he would um, bring yogurt land coupons. <laughs> Done. Like 50 cent yogurt land coupon and like, boom, you're part of the family. You're, we're, we're tight. Uh, and so he ended up coming over to Thanksgiving and moving in. And, and it was one of those experiences where we began to learn so much from him and grow um, f by watching how he was living in his faith and to see his faith be demonstrated because you know, James says the poor are rich in faith. And we began to see these things that he was rich in that we needed as a part of our life. And so my prayer is that as we grow as a church, we're gonna love um, so well. And I, and I see it happening. I see so many families fostering, stepping into the fostering system. I see um, Greenway Park Elementary going on. I see our monthly homeless ministry. I see all these expressions. And, and really, I see all of us going to work tomorrow at work with a call to love people and to do it indiscriminately and to watch what God does as we love people that may feel different from us spiritually, um, educationally, financially, whatever the thing is, and we just watch Jesus at work. So those are the results. If we have the spirit of God inside of us, we're gonna be a unifier, a reconciler of people to God and to each other. Now, here's the attitude, the third thing. What kind of attitude will you have if you have this transcendent courage? It'll be an attitude of relentless thanks. Relentless thanks. Look at verse 11 in chapter two. Notice what people filled with the spirit of God do. They declare the wonders and the works of our God. That's what Acts 2, 11 says. They couldn't stop declaring the wonders and the works of God. Now, if the Holy Spirit comes over your life, man, it is gonna fill you with a joyful thanksgiving because 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, you know what it says? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. This is what he wants for us. Do that one, just that one. That's enough work for a lifetime. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. But it takes courage because life settles in and life gets hard. And it's hard to give thanks in all circumstances, especially the hard ones. I saw this recently with my cousin. He called me back in October and he said, Stephen, man, um, I wanted to tell you something. Uh, my wife has stage four breast cancer. His wife is 33. They have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and were pregnant at the time due to give birth in two months. I was like, bro, I am so sorry. Ugh, how, how are you doing? He said, well, we just went out and had the best celebratory dinner we've ever had. I was like, 
hold on, I think, I think the phone's breaking up. That, I don't know if I heard you right. You did what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we just went out to the nicest dinner we've ever had when we got the diagnosis. I was like, why? Well, he said, and then he quoted James 1, 2 through 4, which says this, consider it pure joy. Really? Consider being diagnosed with cancer? Pure joy? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Translation, something's happening. God's doing something in this diagnosis. So we're gonna consider it pure joy. See, what they didn't do was like, yay, cancer. I mean, who can do that? But what they did do is they said, we are going to consider it pure joy. And we're gonna celebrate that Emmanuel, God with us is in this and he's doing something in us. He's working this for our good and his glory. Why? Because let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we're gonna let God do his work in us. This isn't a chapter we would have chosen, but we're gonna praise him through it. Our hands are gonna be up. We're gonna praise a God who is with us, who's gonna redeem this, who's gonna work out his purposes in and through cancer. And so they went on this battle, battle to give thanks always. And we got to be with them December 31st. Uh, and then she had the baby that night courageously. And then sadly, uh, the cancer just exploded to the point where a week and a half ago, uh, they called me and said, Stephen, you better come. You better come quick. And so last Tuesday, I flew down to Mobile, Alabama, and I walked into the hospital room. And when I got into the hospital room, here's what I saw. I saw my, I saw my cousin down on his knee with his Bible. And he was washing his wife with the word over and over and over again. And then for two days straight, we sat around her bedside. And there were about 10 of us in the room. And you know what we did? We worshiped. He looked at us and he said, listen, my life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. My foundation is on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I am asking him to heal my wife. And we're gonna call out and ask God but to do what he loves to do, which is heal. However, if he chooses to take her home, I will yet praise him. And so we're gonna spend every moment we have giving thanks and worshiping. And so we did for two days around her bedside. We worship with our hands lifted high. And, and in the middle of this intense period, she was in and out of a coma. And there was this one really powerful moment where she all of a sudden um, kind of came to and she said, where's the lion? We were like, she goes, Where's the lion? He's been here all day long. And we just smiled because she was describing Aslan, the king of kings who's on the move, even in the middle of a hospital room, the lion of Judah, who's roaring with power. See, that's what it means to be filled with the spirit. You have a courage and you experience the one who is courageous, drawing near to you to give you a strength to endure 
And so I watched Nikki and I watched Mari smile their way and give thanks all the way through, even to the, to the most difficult point when Jesus chose to take his wife home. And so we gathered together and his wife had given, um, she had this locket that she wore and it was of a lion. And when you open it, it said, courage, dear heart. And she gave to her five-year-old son this locket that said, courage, dear heart. And so my little buddy, Salem, there he is. He's got his mom's locket on. Looks at me and he says, this is special. My mom, my mom gave me this. She said, courage, dear heart. See, his mom was saying to him, there's a courage, there's a source of courage that you can access Salem. Even when I'm gone, that'll be here long after I'm gone. Take his heart, take courage. See, this is why the Bible says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Take his heart and you will receive a courage that will transcend cancer, that will take you beyond cancer. So my cousin and I went to his funeral and I'm, he's right here side by side watching at his wife's funeral. And you know what happened? Hands lifted high. Both of us praising a God who is faithful when we can't make sense of what is going on. We don't know why this happened, but we just know that he's good and he's in it and he's with us. And so, man, we are going to give thanks in the middle of what seems so hard and confusing, and we are going to consider it pure joy because Mari, my cousin, taught me what it's like to have this kind of courage to be filled with the Spirit such that you can declare the works of God and the wonders of God when life just doesn't make sense. See, how do you do this? Some of you are going, how do, you, how do I do this? How in the world can I pull this off? You know, the answer is to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, it actually tells us how to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says this, be filled with the Spirit. You know what that is? Um, the, the tense of be filled, it's present progressive. That's like nerdy seminary theological stuff. But you know why it actually matters in the day-to-day -day hospital rooms? Because what it means is, is present progressive, ongoing basis. Day by day, minute by minute, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, um, imagine your life is a bounce house. You're in a bounce house. Well, what is a bounce house? In order to function the way it should, what does it have to be hooked up to? The generator. You gotta have the air coming in. Well, in the same way, we've gotta be hooked up to the generator, the Spirit, how do I do that, Pastor Stephen? Well, look at the next part of the verse. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. This, there's a song, this is how we do it. This is how, <laughs> that was really bad. That was really bad. But this is how we do it right here. We, we sing and make music from our heart to the Lord over and over and especially in the hard times, especially in the dark times, we learn to always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus. I can't tell you, all we could say in the hospital room was the name of Jesus. 
We sang that song, what a beautiful name, over and over again, because the power of the name of Jesus coming and filling you up over and over and over and over again. My friends, this requires spiritual muscles. See, I was able to say to my cousin, and, and honestly, I, can't, I couldn't say this to many people, but he was one of them. I said, Mara, you're, you're ready for this battle with cancer. Do you know why? Because you've done the spiritual exercises, the spiritual workouts. You've gone, you've built those spiritual muscles. You've, you've prepared for this marathon. You're ready to run this marathon. If you are spiritually obese, you, I can't get you to a six minute mile tomorrow, but you've been training for this. You're ready because you have the spirit of Jesus. You're hooked up to the generator of the spirit. And so I knew before we even got there, I knew what, how he would handle this with his hands lifted high. And so he said, Stephen, we're gonna book in this. We did it on the, on the night we found out of the diagnosis. We did it at our funeral, hands lifted high to a God who's good. And we're clinging to his goodness, even when we can't make sense of it working out in our life right now, we know that he's good and we're holding to it. My friends, this is what we have in the benefits of the Holy Spirit. We have, I want you to see this, pull up the benefits real quick. I want you to know what we have. We have access to, we have power. We have dynamite power to overcome what's in front of us. We have a helper. We have a comforter. We have an advocate. We just need to be filled up. And to give thanks for an advocate, a helper, be stay hooked up to the generator. And that's how we do it. But I need to tell you, if you have the courage to do this, there will be an opposition in your life. Know this, this kind of life, this kind of courage, it will be opposed. Why? Well, because the devil is deeply opposed to you living this way. He doesn't want you praising him like this. He wants you in the shadows, in the darkness. He doesn't want you to demonstrate this kind of spiritual power to the world. And so the devil is going to, he, God's not really good. Really? How, if he really loved you, would, would he have allowed this to happen in your life? And so you're gonna hear that voice over and over and over again. And then not just the devil, but the flesh, the fleshly side of you, that snarky, cynical, jaded side that's in all of us it'll rear its head and it'll wanna just vent. And then Job's friends will come along. Man, dude, I'm, ugh, your life, your life. Really? I mean, God's good? God love? Yes. God is good enough to send his one and only son, Jesus. He loved me this much that he sent his most beloved son, Jesus, into the world. And when Jesus got here, we find out that the spirit of the sovereign Lord was a point upon him. And you know what he did? He loved people like prostitutes and Samaritans who were racially different. He loved people who were hurting him, who were against him, all the way to the point of they were whipping him and they were beating him. And you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the ultimate declaration of the goodness of God, he ends up and he says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. What an act of worship. What an act of thanksgiving where Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit as I go and descend into hell with demons coming at me and the, the darkest forces I could ever imagine. This is how much our father loves us. 
that he would allow his one and only beloved son to experience that so that he can come to us in bedsides where we have cancer, where we have all these times and pour out the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus can say, now in my resurrected presence, I'll unite you with the father and give you a transcendent courage unlike any you've ever had, any you've ever tasted. And you will be able to lift your hands in praise and say, our God is good. Let's pray. As I'm praying right now, some of you are just getting that sense that you want the goodness of God to control your life, not your circumstances. You want to have the courage to be able to give thanks in what you're going through right now, but it is so hard and it is so tough. And so I'm going to encourage you right now to just take a step of faith. Some of you may have never taken that step of faith. But I'm going to encourage you right now by the power of the Spirit that's coming over you right now to respond in faith and give your heart to Jesus. Trust him with your life. So pray with me right now. Jesus, I trust you. It's been hard, but I give you my life. I need you to fill me up with your Spirit, to forgive me, to give me hope where I feel hopeless to shine your light into the darkness of my life. Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm giving you authority in my life. Give me the courage to follow you, to do so with thanks, not with bitterness, but thanks. Jesus, fill me up. Give me life and hope and joy and peace. Amen.